Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. Brianne. Melanie. I missed you. I missed you. Where's our bumper sticker for surviving the great BuzzFeed attack of 2021? That's crazy. We did not abandon you guys. I promise. No, not by choice anyway. That was a crazy roller coaster. We were separated from you by crime. By extortion specifically. How often do we get to say that? Usually we're just like, uh, we have COVID, uh, we're pregnant. <laughs> no, we got separated from you people by crime this time. This is now a true crime podcast. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yes. So can you bring us up to speed for anyone who's not on social media or wasn't paying attention? Because I feel like I barely know what happened last week and I think you were following it a little better than I was. Yeah, so basically some hackers came in and they just started hacking away at our hosting site. That's where we <laughs> upload our episodes for everybody to hear in their earballs. And basically they were trying to extort money. So they're like, "Pay us some money and we'll stop fucking your shit up and all will be well." Well, Buzzsprout was like, fuck you. We don't negotiate with terrorists because... Yeah, they really did. Like, they they said that. Yeah, because they basically were like, this is a thing. If we pay them, all they're going to do is, like, you know, pull their funds and then start attacking, Mm -hmm. like, even bigger things. And then all of a sudden, like, it's not even America anymore. It's the United States of hackers. And, like, (laughs) it just would not be good at all. So they said basically the way it happens what happened was they like overloaded the servers. So what what ended up happening? Cuz I was pretty up to speed up till that point, but then my life got turned upside down and uh All right, Will Smith. I know. Oh, somebody get that. <laughs> my life got turned upside down and I never looked at it again ever and then we got to today and i was like man i hope that thing's over well they released an episode about it i haven't listened to it yet but yeah they got like a ton of new followers on twitter for the way they handled it i mean it was a big deal wow. um they uh the hackers started like i guess they realized they were getting nowhere with buzzsprout and they started like actually hitting up some of the smaller hosting sites too so I don't know. It's weird. It's I, Well, I felt like Buzzsprout handled it wonderfully. I felt like they sent us a really well-written email about what to expect and what was going on. I, I was very appreciative of how they handled it. The way they explained it was basically like if someone was intentionally um, causing a traffic jam. That's mm-hmm. pretty much what happened to the server's. And uh, no, they did handle it well. They did. Even a dipshit armadillo like myself, <laughs> I felt like I, I pretty much understood it after that email. <laughs> I didn't really um, follow it, unfortunately. I can't 
say much about it, but we unexpectedly got a new kid this week. Yes! And then there were three. So we have a new placement who is 11. And uh, wow, that was... So that the... If you're new to the... If you're new to us... I didn't give birth to an 11-year-old. Brianne's a foster no. mom. Yeah. <laughs> if you're just now joining us and you don't Yes, know but it was very unexpected because we didn't even have an opening, technically. <laughs> they just called us and said, hey, about this. Um, they were like, so, we heard that um, you're off this week because of some hackers. How well, about listen, a kid? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm the hacker, but I'm not saying I'm not. <laughs> But I am saying that the timing lined up nicely because I ended up kind of needing an unexpected mini maternity leave this week. So maybe I'm the hacker. Our families are growing. Don't at me, Buzzsprout. No. No. They're going to sue you. (laughs) Shit. It's been a while since I've courted a lawsuit. Yeah, so. myself again. We're back and it feels good. We're back with a brand new rap. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know everybody's probably missing the animal bracket. Uh-huh. All right. Let's get into this. Okay. So I have an audible this week. So everybody kind of, you know, chimed in with their animals and, and all that stuff. And um, we did have a fox in this animal bracket, which is happens to be Tags, uh, the audio guy's favorite animal of all time. And I put it in there because I'm I'm nice. But someone came in with like a late edition. Michelle, this one's for you. And I was I don't think that would have been nice actually to put that in there. I think that would be very chaotic evil because the secret is that I don't really give a shit about foxes. But I really like the audio guy. I think I just heard him gasp. I really like the audio guy. And I, it wouldn't have been good, probably. Yep. So I kicked out Tags Fox mm-hmm. and I put in Michelle's recommendation um, because she tagged us and she was just like, oh, I wish we would have known about this before you started the bracket. And I'm like, well, <laughs> well you know, since I'm in charge of this. Yeah. I'm the animal. People know to start thinking about their favorite cryptids because I think that's what we're doing next. We're doing cryptids next, and I'm so excited about (laughs) it. Yeah, so I did a hacker job on the animal bracket, and so this week (laughs) it's a viscacha. I hope I'm saying that right. Viscacha um, versus the koala bear. Okay, it's the koala bear. I mean. Are wait, you wait. surprised? Are you giving me melody? No, I specifically said, make sure you hit the images and you scroll through it. There's no way it's a fucking koala bear. Okay, did I miss something in particular? I mean, I looked at these little bunny looking guys. They're chubby cheeks. They're yawn. Oh, yeah. They're I don't know. They kind of look like a rabbit that got its ears gnawed off. And here's the thing. Here are the factors. First of all, they do kind of look like a rabbit. They got its ears not gnawed off, which is not the best look for an animal. Secondly, I really like koalas. Like, a lot. They're not quite untouchable. I've held one. Shut up, Melanie. I have pictures. 
I'm telling you, they're overrated. They're just stoned all the time. I've never seen the picture. Their fingernails okay. are long and gross. They feel like a Brillo pad. They're not soft. <gasps> really? Did I have? Yeah, really. Wow. Did I just ruin you? No, I think I like that they feel like a Brillo pad. That's just not something I'd ever thought of. Where are the pictures? Uh, They're in. If you hold on a minute, I can go grab one. Okay. All right. So I need I need to know where you keep your koala photos that you can just say, hold on, let me go grab a koala photo. Well, I have a, a binder uh, in my closet that I, I've actually been organizing. So it was easy to grab. Let me see. All right. I'm going to send you this picture. There you go. I just have the one. I was at a koala okay. sanctuary. The Lone Pine <gasps> Koala Sanctuary. Who's this guy? Is this your boyfriend? No, he was not my boyfriend. He's just a friend. <sighs> oh, okay. Hold on. I just we're gonna. You need to dissect can, this. The audio guy can take this part, the silence out, because I just need to look at this for a minute. <laughs> okay. Are its claws pokey? Yes. I mean, look at my skin. It's a dagger. Yeah. Why aren't you aging? I am aging. This this was 17 years ago. Was it really? Yeah. What have I done with my life? Oh, is that 12:15? It even has a time. <laughs> Damn. Okay. So what do do they want to jump down or do they just chill? They just chill cuz they're all fucked up on some eucalyptus. They sleep like 20 hours a day. Oh my god, I think I love them. It it really does need a nail trim, though. Yeah. Can they have a nail trim? I don't think so. I just watched a TikTok yesterday. The, the whole thesis of the TikTok was that all koalas look like they're named Dave. That does not look like a Dave. I don't know, man. I could see it. Looks like a Bernie. Oh, it really does. <laughs> it looks like Bern- Bernie at the inauguration. <laughs> it needs some mittens on those claws, though. I mean, okay. he's a total chunk monk, and I'm not, I'm not, it, before I mean, you twist my your, words, I'm, like. I'm looking into your snaky eyes now, knowing that you look like a friendly, smiling lady holding a koala, but in your mind, you're someone who in 17 years is going to be singing that Shania Twain, I'm, that doesn't, don't impress me much song about this koala. No, see, that's, and that's this and this is what up. you did to me last time, where now everybody <laughs> thinks I'm some sort of chicken hater. Mm, okay, welcome to my life with armadillos. <laughs> I fucking love armadillos. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I love a koala bear, obviously. Look how happy I am <laughs> that, in, in this photo. Molly, I'm that's super not happy. obvious. That's not obvious at all. No, I'm happy. I'm cuddling it. Right? Look at I just go got my little hand <laughs> on its butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's koala butt touching happening for sure. But the viscacha. Oh okay. my gosh. I, he just looks like I just wanna give it a little blanket can, and can a I, snuggle and they're both sleepy. That's why them? I put them together. Oh god, here we go. <laughs> Listen. Okay. 
I have learned some things in the course of this bracket. I've learned several important things. One of them is don't just go with what you think. Find like a fact sheet about the creatures. No, you're you're like find some receipts where like they're not good. Get the dirt. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's three things I have to do now when I do an animal bracket. Thing one is I have to find some facts about it because sometimes I find out a terrible fact and that changes things. Thing two is I have to look at their babies because their baby cuteness is a huge factor. And thing three, I learned this after the armadillo incident. Thing three is that I have to find a video of it moving because I did not realize how cutely armadillos walk. (laughs) Unfortunately, I watched a video of an armadillo after I picked a pangolin and I have regrets. I told you they like do like this little scuttle thing. They do this little tippy toe thing. And when they get startled, they jump straight up into the air. And that is adorable. So yes, on the record, I have regrets. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way, I would pick the armadillo. All right, Cher. You're really on it with the music pop culture references today. (laughs) What happened to you? Where's my old Brienne? Maybe I've been binge watching Jeopardy to impress you. (laughs) Well, that don't impress me much. Okay, now, well, that that's a reference that I will always have known because I <laughs> listened to a lot of Shania Twain in my youth. Um, okay, I, I looked these up. I mean, really, the burden was on the Viscachas to prove themselves because I already really like koalas. And Adelaide likes koalas, and she watches this adorable show on Netflix about this cute little Australian girl who has, an Aust- has a koala sanctuary. It's like Izzy's koala world or something and it's really super cute so i mean you'd have to do a lot of heavy lifting to make me not say the koala but i gave them a fair chance i looked at pictures of them i looked at pictures of them sleepy i looked at pictures of their babies i didn't actually watch them move and i looked up fact sheets and in the fact sheets i found that they are quote very vocal oh and they scream an alarm scream <laughs> and i i think they need to shut up Uh, that's what I think. You just picture them just being like, ah! Yeah, no, no. I have four dogs. I don't have much sympathy left for animals and their alarm screams. One of them is an Australian shepherd. Stop it. <laughs> Go to sleep. So, I crown the koala king of this round. Aw. <laughs> I think it's cute. I think it's cute. Gosh, man. Really getting to know I- you. I can't yeah. wait for the cryptid bracket. I want to point out to you that this koala, whose name isn't Dave, looks a bit unimpressed with you. No, he's sleepy. I don't know. You know why know. he's so sleepy is because I'm such a good snuggler. I don't know. It looks like he's he's touching the boob and he looks underwhelmed. Because my boobs aren't very big. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Dave did. <laughs> Or what what are you trying to name the squall? Bernie. Bernie. Bernie Dave. Yeah. Bernie Dave. <laughs> That's not my hot take about your boobs, but it is it is the koalas, I think. What's a good last name for Bernie Dave? Jones. I don't know. Bernie Dave Jones. Bernie Dave Jones. The koala. <laughs> Look at 
Jordan. He's a Bernie Dave Jones. A... My ass he's not. All right. I'll have to uh, post this picture. And oh, then... you must. Yeah. You must. So people can take in your lying eyes. So people can take in Bernie Dave Jones's really unimpressed eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, your your friend me. looks a little nervous. Well, he's like he's Australian, so he's like, oh, this okay. is fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I could go to like a a squirrel petting sanctuary, and I'd be like, fuck yes, we get to pet these ones. I want to go to the zoo here. Oh my gosh, I haven't been to the zoo in so long. I haven't been to the zoo since. Oregon. Yeah, I haven't been since 2018. The last time I went to the Oregon Zoo is so amazing. But we went, the last time we went, it was raining. I mean, it always rains there, like Seattle style. Um, But no one was at, we had the whole zoo by ourselves, and all the animals were out. It was really cool. I want to go to the zoo. I'll go to the zoo with you. I swear. I think I'm just going to book a trip and come. <laughs> there's a song. The Indianapolis Zoo is actually pretty damn nice. Um, there's a song about going to the zoo. From Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. My 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 rare but cherished super fans out there will know what I'm talking about. And with that, we're going to move on to the story. Woohoo! Okay. It's actually a bunch of stories. So... I realize that by the time this drops, it will be March 4th, 3rd, March 3rd, and not Black History Month anymore, but... Doesn't fucking matter. First of all, it's Black History Year. Guess what, motherfuckers? (laughs) Second of all... Oh, well. Third of all, I didn't ask for a hacker attack, or did I? So, we are doing... Says the hacker... Says the hacker. And not only that, but it's a two-parter, so we're also doing this well into March. After our two that we did in Black History Month, I did the Mississippi Flood, you did the Tuskegee? Tuskegee? I still don't feel like I know how to say it. Um, Tuskegee Experiment, and it was all super fucking dark. And, and horrible and awful. And yes, horrible and awful. And I'm not necessarily saying this is a feel good compilation per se, because although I kind of tried to make it be one, um, there's still some problems. The thought that I had was that we would shift from the horrible things that have been done to the black community and shift to sort of a compilation of black heroism, essentially, in you know, disaster context, war context, whatever. Because God bless it, if a war is not a man-made disaster, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's like peak man-made disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I kind of wanted to shift the vibe. And yeah, the vibe has shifted. I think it will be even more so next next episode. But, I mean, the world still sucks a lot. Yeah, it does. So, you know, we we have a lot of like feel good stories that never should have had to happen in the first place 
we have a lot of feel-good stories where it's like, and this guy rescued everyone, and then the world destroyed him and he died young. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can't really get rid of that. I'm hoping that as we get further into chronological time that will lighten up a little bit but there's still kind of a lot of that in this first one okay but here we go we're gonna start way back in 1918 oh damn i know we're gonna go from 1918 to now over my next two episodes Uh, you know i like to do things in chronological order so we're gonna start way back in 18 with 18 oh god oh Oh, no i have to clarify 1918 this is weird that feels weird is that okay fuck okay we're gonna start way back in 1918 with a 22 year old named henry with this guy i gotta send you a picture he had the goofiest kindest smile you've ever seen he he just has a very distinctive smile and when i send you the picture you'll know exactly what i mean um by the way i thought that i had to check a bunch of french for this part of this story and like pronunciation there's no fucking french is there well i mean there's it's french there there's frenchness afoot but apparently past me liked future me so I took out things that I would need to mangle the pronunciation of. And instead of being like, and then they were on the River de Baguette. I'm just like, they were in France. Yeah. Well, I, you you already had me tripped up with the macaron, macaroon thing. Apparently macaroons are a puffy coconut pastry. There's a very precise answer to that but i don't think that i could ever bring myself to calling them macarons <laughs> it just sounds weird it's like yeah isn't like adidas like they say adidas wrong like it's supposed to be like adidas or something like that what no yes what is that real yes i think i it's don't trust wa- you anymore after the bread <laughs> i think adidas is supposed to be pronounced a certain way, but everybody pronounces it wrong, and that's just the way it is. Oh, now are we going to have to get into the GIF debate here? No. Let's... I feel like it's coming. Oh, no. I've been avoiding this for almost a year on this <gasps> podcast. Here we go. The word We've has been come pronouncing... up several times, and I have edited it out Which so one? I don't have to say it. The word that is GIF like a moving picture jif you say jif yeah you say jif jif or gif i want to say that i think i say jif but i want I, in my head i'm like it's not jif it's gif I but i think it actually is jif but i think it i just default to jif because i default every- to jif too thank god well it's our fucking podcast it's just gonna- it is our fucking podcast i think that we have a very controversial take on a very controversial topic with that i really think that a lot of people think that the gif people are stupid and they want to say gif which sounds ridiculous to me but i have avoided saying that probably six times over the course of this podcast but if we stand together i don't care now here we go goodhousekeeping.com 
We've been pronouncing Adidas oh, wrong all this time. No, no. It says, I don't accept this. In the first line, nope, it's not Adidas. When mm-hmm. you say the word Adidas, do you pronounce it Adidas? Well, I hate to tell you, but nope, that's not it. Sorry, buddy. Oh, it says, sorry. I, see, I swear <laughs> I did not did write you this. write this article? I did not write this article. <laughs> it says, okay, how are they saying you say it? Bullshit. Adidas is actually pronounced Adida. Adida. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, Get the fuck out of here with that. Um, no, it says. It says. Never in my life will I accept that. Um, Never. Zara is supposed to have a rolled R. Okay, well. I'll Estee Lauder is pronounced Esta. Vidal Sassoon is pronounced Vidal Sassoon. Sassoon. I'm not completely surprised by those because those are like fancy names. That Yeah, sure. Yeah, so macaroons are my Adidas and everyone's just going to have to get over it. And bra. If I, <laughs> if I remember correctly, the GIF, GIF thing was like the creator of it came out and said it's actually GIF, which is how I had always pronounced it in my head. But then everyone else on the planet was like, fuck you, man. I'm never calling it that. It's GIF. It's always been GIF. I'm calling it GIF in my head. All you GIF people are stupid. And I'm like, oh, shit. No. <laughs> so I, it's now, been a secret shame for a while. Well, I feel him on that. Like, I know I'm right when I'm pronouncing these things and everybody's emailing and messaging like, you're wrong, Melanie. We do get a lot of pronunciation emails. It's my favorite. <laughs> okay. Let's Here get back go. to Henry. Sorry. Yeah, we're back to Henry. We're like one sentence into this. <laughs> it's 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 chaotic today. <laughs> it's very chaotic energy. So it was World War One and Henry was a member of the all black New York National Guard 369th Infantry Regiment. He was only five four. 130 pounds and that's kind of important to our story and i'm not going to claim to be overall well educated about military history because i unequivocally am not i'm not educated about military history or military present but i do know that unsurprisingly there is still a lot of racism in the army in 1918 oh hell yeah there was you will be shocked to hear i'm sure um, black soldiers mostly had support roles and white soldiers were very skeptical about whether they could actually fight, which is real rich coming from people who are always like, oh, they're so vicious and terrifying and savage. But then when you have to serve in the army together, it's like, oh, but I don't know if they can really fight. Yeah. Pick a, pick a flavor of racism. Right. And stay with that at least. So the 369th Infantry Regiment didn't have a lot of training. So they mostly did physical labor. The French were low on troops and less racist than the Americans, who were highly concerned with maintaining segregation, and they had released this bullshit pamphlet called Secret Information Concerning Black American Troops. (laughs) What? (laughs) Idiots. Which said that black soldiers were shitty fighters and sexual predators. So the French we're kind of just like what is your problem 
they weren't really involved in all this. I mean, I'm sure there was undoubtedly some racism, but it was not like it is in America. So right. the 369th Infantry was loaned out to the French in 1918. I want to say that the first black fighter pilot served on the French army. Wow, maybe you know about military history. I love that stuff. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, if you know something, by all means, say it. Okay. So they were loaned out like a pog to the French in 1918. And one night in May, Henry and his 17-year-old army buddy, I believe it's pronounced Needham. It's and it's like Needham, but one word. I'm pretty sure it's Needham. We're standing watch next to a bridge over a river in France on the midnight to 4 a.m. shift. Henry didn't really approve of this, but it wasn't because he was worried about himself. He knew he was untrained and he felt like having untrained watchmen was a risk to the rest of the troops, which is legit. But he had promised to, quote, tackle the job, which would soon turn out to be a massive understatement. The French had outfitted them with French helmets, weapons, and just enough French words to receive commands. We were nearly four years into the war, and Henry and Needham were out here keeping watch by a bridge, and they became aware that a group of 20 to 24 German soldiers were coming when they heard what they called snipping and clipping of wire cutters. <laughs> yeah. The German soldiers had two goals. One was to wipe out this little two-man outpost, and two was maybe take some prisoners back and get some information from them about what the Americans were up to. So it was two to about 22, so it was going to be a cinch. Henry grabbed a box of grenades and started opening it. He told Needham to go alert the defense line. Needham left, and the Germans' grenades hit their area, so he ran back to help Henry. Needham was hit. He had shrapnel in his arm and his hip, and he went down right away. Henry, in the middle of all this, laid him out in a trench and gave him the job of handing him up grenades so he could fire back grenades at the Germans. But there were a lot of them. I mean, mm. at this point, it's it's functionally one to like 22 because Needham's not, you know. Right. Fuck. Bless his heart, but he, he can't do much. Right. So... They were closing in everywhere. Henry threw grenades until he ran out. He was shot in the head. What? He was shot in the lip. He picked up his 10-pound French rifle, which carried three rounds fully loaded, from what I gathered. Weapon history is another thing I know nothing about, but I did do some reading. (laughs) And, I mean, one had to hope that Henry was a good shot. So he fired a shot, and he fired another. He got shot in the side. So now he's been shot in the head, the lip, and the side. A German soldier was closing in, and he fired the third round almost directly into that guy's chest. So Holy he, shit. Yeah. So that guy fell back dead, but he had a buddy right behind him. Henry was again shot in the hand. And I think that when we think about... This kind of thing, we're thinking about action movies and, you know, just, you know, what's going to kill you. And, you know, a hand, it's fairly easy to tourniquet if you've got a chance to tourniquet it. You can certainly live without it. So it may sound like not that big of a fucking deal. 
Oh, like that didn't sound like that to me. It. I'm like holding I mean, know, my hands but... between my little thighs <laughs> right now. Like, no. <laughs> I know. But I mean, I'm like, I'm reading these and I'm like registering, you know, the side and the head is the ones to really worry about. But I mean, you're you're loading the gun with your hand. You're firing right. with your hand. You, you need that. So he quickly reloaded, but he accidentally jammed the rifle with an American cartridge clip and it was a French rifle. So the gun was useless as a gun, but he did now have a nine pound wooden metal club, which he swung back and used to hit the German who was right behind that guy in the head. Get him, Henry. Yeah. The guy went down Henry kept clubbing soldiers until his rifle splintered. And then he was hit hard in the head and went down. He was overwhelmed. There were too many of them. His injuries were terrible. He glanced over at Needham, who was still down just in time to see two men scooping him up and carrying him away. Mm. Which is not great. No. But Henry was not having it. An historian wrote, Our men were unanimous in the opinion that death was to be preferred to a German prison, but Johnson was of the opinion that victory was to be preferred to either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So despite their losses, the Germans definitely thought they had this unlock at this point. They, They had two guys to begin with. At this point, they've got one man down. They're hauling him to enemy lines, and the remaining guy is a a five foot four dude with a frankly goofy face they got cocky didn't they uh they must have they had grossly underestimated henry completely he dragged himself to his feet and charged pulling out his bolo knife as he went he hit the german soldier in the shoulder blades with his knees and slammed his knife all the way to the hilt into the top of his head (gasps) by the way there's there's a lot of gore in the first couple of these, so I guess I could have mentioned that sooner, but it'll be in the content warnings. So he stood up. Adrenaline just coursed through every part of his body. He turned around. He faced the remaining soldiers. And then Henry was shot with an automatic pistol by one of them. Again, he was shot? Mm-hmm. But it didn't stop him. He charged again stabbing and slashing anyone he could get close enough to. One of the German soldiers was disemboweled. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. They panicked. They could hear French and American troops coming. Henry alone was more than they'd ever bargained for. Right. They abandoned a huge amount of important equipment and ran away with their dead and wounded. So the other troops showed up to find Henry unconscious with 21 wounds, Needham alive and uncaptured, Five German soldiers dead, many others injured, and all of them driven back well before they could reach the French line. Oh, my gosh. Henry and Needham were awarded France's highest military honor. The, oh, I guess I didn't take everything out. I'm not even going to try to say this. (laughs) I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to attempt this. I will make a fool of myself. It was a very, if you people don't know what it is anyway, <laughs> and if you do, then excellent, you know. Um, so what I'm telling you is it was France's highest military honor, and it was the first time that a U.S. soldier had gotten it, and it was noted that he, quote, gave a magnificent example of courage and energy. 
<laughs> energy. That's what so a, darling. What a way to put it. <laughs> Henry's um, military honor also included the gold palm for extraordinary valor, which was super rare. Defense.gov's article on Henry said, The question of whether the African-American 5th New York Infantry could fight as well as any other unit was answered in the darkness on May 15, 1918. Oh, that's beautiful. I know. Henry developed a formidable reputation and the nickname Black Death. (laughs) 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 But he didn't really see it as heroic. He said, each slash meant something, believe me. There wasn't anything so fine about it. Just fought for my life. A rabbit would have done that. Oh, Henry. I know, which I actually kind of have feelings about that because after the coma, everybody was kind of like, you're so strong. You're a fighter. You're a survivor. And I'm like, what the fuck else would I do? Just die? Right. That is kind of a weird sentiment, right? Yeah. I mean, it it is kind of in terms of anything where your life is threatened. Now, and I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm not trying to impugn Henry's legacy at all. This is just a sidebar that's not related to that. But honestly, it sounds like he truly thought the same thing. Um, It's completely different if you are rescuing someone else at the cost of your own self-preservation right but i mean if it's a matter of fighting for your life whether for like an illness or something like that i mean that like that's instinct that's that's survival so i don't know about that though because like when i i don't know i don't i i don't know if i agree with that just for the simple fact that when I had my C-section with Josie, I thought I was going to die. And I literally looked at them and said, after I heard Josie cry, I said, I can die now, right? I was ready to oh, go. God. No, I'm oh, serious. No. I was like, okay, I'm out. Don't have to take care of this, baby. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think everybody has that. Wow. Huh. That's interesting. I'm going to have to ponder that. I think Henry from the grave agrees with me, though. (laughs) He says a rabbit would have done that. And I I think that in a situation like this, it's true and not true. Because, I mean, it does require an incredible amount of bravery to, you know, stand up against enemy fire and not just run away. Right. I don't know. I think that I see his point if if there's no option to run away and you're just fighting to survive, because I think that's generally an instinct, maybe not for your ass. Damn. But, um, if I mean, it's the fight or flight though. Right. Yeah, it is. And I think that they say now that there's fight, flight or freeze also. So, yeah, I mean, his take on it seems to be that it was basically instinct and not anything heroic, just trying to stay alive. But throughout the rest of the war, his regiment would receive 171 individual decorations for heroism. And I feel like this sounds like I'm shitting on Henry. I'm not shitting on Henry. If anything, no. I'm kind of relating to Henry. Right. Um, I, I don't mean it that way at all. And I 
I don't really know how to explain that. I hope we think Henry's a badass. Of course, we think Henry's a badass. I just i I know kind of what it's like to survive something sort of unsurvivable and have everyone be like, "You're so strong. You're such a fighter." And it's right. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I guess I I wanted to stay alive. People typically do. (laughs) So, um. President Roosevelt called Henry one of the five bravest Americans to serve in World War One. Both men were seen as heroes when they came home, and Henry was promoted to sergeant and led the New York City Parade in 1919. At first, Henry was even paid to do lecture tours, telling people that the army was a place of racial harmony. Oh. That was, that was the point they wanted him to make. Oh. But... One night, he showed up, and he didn't give the speech he was paid to give. I like to imagine him, like, standing at, the, at like, a podium for a minute and then loosening his tie and rolling <laughs> up his sleeves and being like, like, listen. Let me tell you something. I have no particular reason to think that happened, but in my head, it definitely happened. He didn't give that speech. He talked about abuse and racism at the hands of white soldiers. And a warrant was issued on the bullshit charge that he was still wearing his uniform and shouldn't be. And the paid gig stopped. What, they put a warrant out for his arrest? uh, Yeah, yeah. They wanted him to shut up about that, so they found any excuse to issue a warrant. I don't think that he was actually arrested. It doesn't seem like he was. But uh, he didn't get any more paid speaking gigs from the army, that's for sure. Unfortunately, he only had 11 more years on this earth at that point and they're really threatening with the law way back when huh uh-huh yeah yeah heroism unfortunately doesn't keep a roof over your head and the army did not take care of their soldiers army still doesn't sue me army yeah i i i I don't know we have a mom right now dealing with some shit and it pisses me off yeah his discharge papermint papermint what is papermint? Is this for paperwork? <laughs> it's like a piece of paper that smells like peppermint. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, his minty discharge paperwork had not mentioned his extensive shrapnel and bullet wounds. So he didn't get a disability allowance that he would have. There, there was some restriction on what awards he was eligible for without that being really noted. And that didn't stop the army from using his image to sell stamps with the tagline, Henry Johnson licked a dozen Germans. How many stamps have you licked? What? Yeah. Henry. That's so gross. Yeah. And there's more gross stuff like this in other similar stories. The next one has some very similar stuff. I actually think I may have left it out because it was too similar. It would have been repetitive, but the, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing where, you know, they screw you over, but then make money off of your image in some way. It sucks. So Henry had no idea that it would have probably been possible to get the errors in his paperwork fixed. So he just tried to make the best of it and make a life he returned to the porter job that he'd had before he joined the army, married, and had three children. He had ongoing problems from his injuries. It was hard to maintain work. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about where it's like, uh, her- heroism. Right. Not. Right. His foot had been shattered. It was held together with a plate. And the pain and trauma led him to drinking. His wife left him. 
and he was finally able to get a permanent and total disability rating in 1927, but he died destitute of myocarditis two years later at 32 and was believed to be buried in a pauper's grave. Oh, that's so sad. Hold on, but wait, there's more. (laughs) That's not the end. So his son, and I'm putting an asterisk here that we're going to come back to in a moment, but we're just going to tell the story as is first. His son, Herman Johnson, went on to be a major civil rights activist and served with the Tuskegee Airmen. Hey! I know! Nearly a century later, actually the Tuskegee Airmen, I believe, briefly come into another story in this also. It's weird. So nearly a century later, Henry's records were reviewed by the Defense Department, and he was... Is it posthumously? Posthumously? Now, this is one that I will admit I do not know. I I feel like I know that I read it wrong in my head, but I feel like I have no idea what the right might be. So let us know. After he was dead, he was awarded a Purple Heart in the mid-90s. And after a few more years of research, they made his son, Asterisk, Herman aware that Henry had not been buried in a pauper's grave. He'd been buried at Arlington with full honors. What? Mm-hmm. Was yep. there just like a paperwork it, mix I mean, up? Or that seems I, like a weird I, mix up. Well, I think that the thing. There's or were they like, oh shit, let's quickly fix this. <laughs> I don't think that's it. And there's save another some extraordinarily space. weird mix up about to happen. But. I think that what it was, was that at the point that he died, his wife had left him and taken the kids, so he didn't really have anyone. He, But the army buried him correctly and with, you know, the honor that he deserved. But there was really no one around to know that. So they just kind of figured he'd been buried in a pauper's grave. But he wasn't. He was buried at Arlington with full honors. So Herman said, quote, Learning my father was buried in this place of national honor can be described in just one word, joyful. I am simply joyful. After his records review, Henry received a Medal of Honor, which was presented by President Obama in 2015. His son died in 2004, two years after learning about his father's burial. His son Herman was described as a gentleman, extraordinary, a man for all seasons. One of our distinguished... Oh, God, I don't know how to say that word. God, I really didn't check this. Sojourners? Sojourners? I hate myself. And leaders. (laughs) Finally, it's not me. No, it's me all over the place. I really looked over this for things I needed to check the pronunciation on, but my brain is fried this week. Mm -hmm. And You probably wrote it on that peppermint paper. (laughs) A bridge in Missouri was named after him, but... Then, in a very weird plot twist, it turns out he may not have even been Henry's son. Oh. Okay. I I do not understand this. I found a couple of sources that did not give a satisfactory explanation. They There was a thing where Herman was supposed to receive his award for him. And the army basically said, look, we're glad you're trying to keep his memory alive, but we don't think you're his son. Unfortunately, we wish we could, but unfortunately, we can't recognize you as his next of kin. What? But I'm like, it's your father. It's not like it's your great grandfather or something. I mean, 
I feel like there's not that much room for confusion there. I I don't understand. I didn't ever find anything that said, oh, it turned out it was a mix-up because of this reason, like a, a similar name or something. I never really found anything that explained this, and I don't understand how... It, I wonder if it's that. like a records thing, because, I mean, golly, I mean, it, this took place in 1918, and he died when he was 32, so I was... He passed away in, like, the... What, 20s, 30s, 30s? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But I mean, how, you know, imagine that you're him and you're being raised by your single mother. I mean, wouldn't she know if that was her late husband's story or not? That's, yeah, that's that's, that's weird. weird. But I mean, the army was clear that they did not feel like he was trying to do anything sketchy. They thought he was just wrong. Um, but I never really found an explanation of why or how or what the logic was there or if... How about you mind your own goddamn business, Army? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't see why that hurts It's really weird. No, I I don't. I mean, I I don't know. It's strange to me. So I, I found a lot more information about him in his role as Henry's son and like the quotes that he gave and the efforts that he made to preserve his legacy and track down his grave and all this. I found way more about that than this whole weird, maybe not his son thing. So I guess I'm just going to let the record stand with that, but there's enough out there about that, that I would probably be sketchy if I didn't mention that. Right. So yeah, there, there we have that very weird closer to that story. So, moving on. Less than a year after Henry's big battle in France, a baby was born in Texas in October of 1919, named Doris. I love that name. Because his parents already had three boys, and apparently the midwife thought this one would for sure be a girl. It wasn't, but they decided to just roll with the name for some reason. (laughs) A little boy named Doris? A little boy named Doris. I fucking love that. I don't know if they were just like, listen, we love the name Doris. This is our last chance and we're not throwing away our shot to use it. Or what? Hey, I'm all about some, you do whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't matter the gender. My boys are Josie and Casey. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I actually love that. that. Yeah. So, yeah, the mid- they had three boys. The midwife was like, no, this one's totes going to be a girl. And then it wasn't. And I guess they must have just liked that name. I don't know. Maybe they'd had it engraved on something. I dig it. I don't know. But they kept it. So Doris, who later went by Dory, grew up working on his family's farm and playing high school football. As he closed it on 20, things weren't going super great for him. He kept getting held back grades before he finally dropped out to support his family. He was a squirrel hunter and hobby taxidermist, and he applied to the Civilian Conservation Corps and had been denied. So I am all about some taxidermy. I am 0% surprised. I really wanted to pursue taxidermy for the longest time. Well, 
actually, I wanted to <laughs> get into mortuary and I was very close to doing that. And then I couldn't find a good taxidermy program and I wound up going to cosmetology school. That's no, how you guys, a mortuary school dropout. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Not that many people know that, but it's true. I do not share your taxidermy interest, but that is very on brand for you. There's a book. I want to get it. It's super cheap, too. I saw on Amazon. It's called Crap Taxidermy. Get it. Treat yourself. It looks lovely. You I'm sorry. It. Sorry I interrupted you. With no, you're fine. Dead I animals. I would have wanted this. <laughs> so finally, he went to a recruiter's office in Dallas and signed up for six years as a mess attendant, which was basically a cook. It was 20 years after Henry had served, but black soldiers still didn't have that much they could sign up to do. (laughs) They were not eligible for promotion. They could not be cross-trained. The other sailors' clothes had buttons with the Navy's insignia on them, but black sailors were only allowed to wear plain buttons. Every sailor had an assigned battle station for when shit hit the fan, but the black sailors' battle stations were all below decks in what was called a hull, where they could just hand up ammunition to the white soldiers at their battle stations. I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. Yeah, like, read the room, world. I mean, how we we just got out of the whole slavery thing. Like, how does that look, guys? Mm -mm. So all they could really do was essentially work as bellhops and dishwashers but it was still seen as a fairly desirable job with a better future than most other available options so after training which was segregated dory was assigned to the battleship west virginia and took up competitive boxing which is technically still somewhat a thing in the navy there's like sports in the navy yeah wrestling and karate and all that stuff listen maybe you should do this episode because you know lots of things ah I don't know. I well, when I lived in about that, I'm fascinated. I did a bit of a deep dive about it, and then I was like, literally, no one wants to hear about this. So I, I cut it, but I was fascinated. When I lived in California, we were next to um, a military base, uh, Camp Pendleton, and whew, and we're running <laughs> around in those little shorts. Oh, you, you cougar! <laughs> Cody was in the military. That's that's really again, you cougar. <laughs> tell you what am beta she sent me a text the other day um can i just tell a quick aunt beta story melanie the door is always open to a quick or a long aunt beta story <laughs> when my dad was passing away i left um to go to back home to kentucky i took ava with me and Cody stayed back in California just to be with the house and her puppy and stuff. And Aunt Beta texted me and she said, um, basically to tell Cody not to worry. She'll be his catfish. <gasps> and she meant to say cougar, but she thought it was. Is that any better? <laughs> no, it's it's not better at all. But I thought that was so funny because I was like. You want to be a catfish? And I had to explain to her what a catfish was and all that stuff. So oh my God. she saw this. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like six or seven years ago. It was so funny. Um, so she 
texts me a couple days ago and she was like, okay, there's an upgrade. Tell Cody I'm not a cougar anymore. Um, I got hearing aids. I'm now a deaf leopard. <laughs> oh, I feel like we can just end the episode here. <laughs> and this is in like my joint text with the ants. And my aunt Kelly goes, she's like, sis, do you know who Def Leppard is? Just curious. Aunt Beta. And Aunt- protect her at all costs. And Aunt Beta said, I think it's a band. <laughs> I love you so much. Our resident deaf leopard. I love her and her hearing aids. She's so perfect. She's the best. I promise I'll stop interrupting you. I'm a little, we're recording late. I'm a little slap happy. If I'm, I'm, me too. If it is an Aunt Veda story, please never hold back. Okay. (laughs) That's really why I'm here. So. After training, which was segregated, he was assigned... Okay, we we got to that. We got stuck on boxing, which apparently you knew about. I didn't. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, I'm a know-it-all. You are about the military? What the hell? (laughs) He... Um, He became the heavyweight champion on the ship. He was 6'3", over 200 pounds. So... December 7th, 1941, started out like any other day on the West Virginia. Dory woke up at 6 a.m. in his ship in Pearl Harbor, served breakfast, cleaned up, and started collecting laundry. A little bit before 8, an alarm went off across the ship. That's never good. No. It told the men to go to their battle stations, so Dory did. But when he got there, he realized that his battle station had been destroyed by a torpedo. His next step was finding an area near the center of the ship and reporting for duty for wherever else he might be needed. And he was definitely needed because soldiers had been hit when the torpedo landed and now they were wounded out in the open. Dory was a huge dude, so he was tasked with carrying them to safer places, which he did, on his shoulders through waist-deep oil-filled water. Oh, man. Yeah. And even in the 1940s, Black soldiers still had very little training about, you know, anything. So they really had few ways to defend themselves when shit hit the fan in these situations. And they were basically along for the ride in other roles. And if shit hit the fan, I mean, they're fucked. (laughs) Yeah. So a lieutenant ordered Dory to load two anti-aircraft machine guns, but Dory didn't know anything about them. They're probably about what you're picturing. I mean, hell, maybe you know everything about (laughs) anti-aircraft machine guns, actually. I didn't, but I had, like, a general image in my head. Um, They're, like, roughly the size and setup of a cannon, but, you know, much with a much narrower diameter. So he told Dory how to do it, planning to have him be the ammo guy loading while they man the weapons. They got distracted, though, and the next time they looked back, Dory was in the middle of fires burning everywhere, Firing the gun at enemy planes, and according to Lieutenant Commander, quote, blazing away as though he had fired one all his life. That's fucking cool. Yeah, he was able to shoot down enemy planes. He said, it wasn't hard. I just pulled the trigger and she worked fine. 
That's called an anti-aircraft weapon for a reason. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he shot down anywhere from maybe two to six, well, I mean, depending on who you ask, anywhere from zero to six enemy aircraft. There's much controversy about that. And stopped when he was out of ammo and the ship was severely listing from the damage it had sustained. It's hard to say, but there are people who think that his shooting is what saved the West Coast from invasion on Pearl Harbor Day. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I've never heard that. I think that's probably a rather hyped up version, but at the same time, I mean, you have to control for the fact that as a black sailor, it would have been downplayed in the first place. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, it wasn't just sailors who were injured, unfortunately. The ship's captain had sustained a huge gaping wound to his abdomen. And torpedoes were continuing to land, and the smaller men had only been able to move the captain to a slightly less exposed location, but could not get him off of the bridge, so they brought Dory to him. But this was no Captain Scatino, and he was not having it. He refused to leave his post and only let himself be moved a short distance to a less exposed spot. Good job, Captain. Mm -hmm. Horribly wounded, he asked how badly the ship had been damaged and told the crew to fight. He died of blood loss on the navigation bridge. The attack continued. There were armor-piercing bombs dropped through the deck, more torpedoes, aircraft diving into West Virginia. Dory carried injured men across the ship, quote, unquestionably saving the lives of a number of people who might otherwise have been lost. The ship took heavy damage, but didn't sink until she reached the shallow harbor, and the crew that was still alive was finally able to abandon ship. Dory was one of the last three men off the ship, where he swam back to the shore like a full-blown action hero, through patches of flames on the water from ignited oil, and helping many seriously injured sailors reach land. What a mental picture. Right? This needs to be a movie. I was going to say, that needs to be a whole-ass movie. Yeah. More than 100 men died in the West Virginia that day. When all was said and done, no one knew Dory's name. They just knew that a black man had performed heroically as the ship was attacked, saving countless lives and having a large role in defending the ship. The Navy released their list of commendations, and it included an unnamed black man. It was three months later, after a lot of digging, that they finally learned his name and properly recognized him with the Distinguished Service Cross and Medal of Honor, spearheaded by Do- by Representative John D. Dingle Sr., which made me scream because I am personally slightly acquainted with the Dingle family. Uh, that was the senior representative, but his son was also a senator in Michigan. He just recently died and he had a massively big deal career. And I kind of know his daughter-in-law through dog rescue. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I had a moment about that. Um, Dory was also later awarded the Navy cross, which is one of the highest honors available at the time. Admiral Nimitz said, this marks the first time in this conflict that such high tribute has been made in the Pacific fleet to a member of his race, and I'm sure that the future will see others similarly honored for brave acts. Dory said he must have survived, quote, on God's strength and mother's blessing. I love that quote. Yes. He continued his Navy career as a mess cook, handing up ammunition from a hole for two more years until the day before Thanksgiving in 1943. Frozen turkeys were thawing aboard the Liscombe Bay, 
and a lookout yelled, Christ, here comes the torpedo. And a torpedo hit the stern, detonating the massive torpedoes and bombs aboard the ship, sinking it almost immediately. Oh. Yeah. About two-thirds of the crew of 900 were killed, including Dory, who likely died instantly and was presumed dead until being officially declared dead a year and a, a, a year and a day after the sinking. And there's a lot of controversy about the re- lack of recognition for his actions at Pearl Harbor. And the public conversation it started is most of the reason that the Navy announced very soon after his death that black sailors would now be trained, quote, as gunner's mates, quartermasters, radio men, boatswain's mates, radio operators, and other specialties besides mess men. Thirty, yeah, thirty years after his death, a destroyer escort was named Miller in his honor, and Texas Representative Barbara Jordan said, "The Dory Millers of the future will be the captains as well as cooks." So that's sad. I know it's really sad. I, I guess I'm glad it was fast because it sounds like when the torpedoes got into the ship, it it hit their bombs immediately. Right. And he he was in that part of the ship, so I mean, hopefully it would have been fast at least. He, you know. He's got to go. He deserves it to be fast. And, right. Yeah. Over quickly. So while Dory had been growing up on his sharecropper parents' farm, when he was around 10, a baby named Lawrence was born in North Carolina. Lawrence was the third child born to his parents, but there would be 12 more after him. Whoa, uh-huh. mama. Yeah. And by the time he was eight, his family was too impoverished to support him, and he went to live with neighbors called the Samuels for the duration of his childhood and teenage years. When he turned 18, he enlisted in the Army as a medic. He was career Army. The Vietnam War had started about 10 years before he enlisted, and by 10 years after he'd enlisted, he'd advanced to the level of E5, which is a sergeant. So for anybody who doesn't know much about how this stuff worked, like myself some things have since changed but in this time period there were 24 ranks in the army with e1 being an entry level enlisted private which i believe is still the case all the way up to the highest 011 which was the general of the army so out of 24 he was five which is pretty good i mean that's not pretty good like kind of shitty i mean pretty good as far as advancement for black soldiers in those times right right um, I realized pretty good sounded like I was saying he didn't have a very good career or something, which is not at all what I mean. Um, and just so Laura- can I, I not to interrupt you like I have been a thousand times. I saw a That's really why. great article um, not long ago when I was researching. I can't remember what I was looking up where it was talking about how. How even though our military is not really segregated anymore, if you actually take a look at it the people at the top it's still very very white for sure yeah so that's basically what i mean i realized as soon as i said that that it sounded kind of like yeah i guess he did all right got up to five ranks but i mean the story before this you know the guy could be literally only a cook so there's some progress i guess not that's what yeah i just with my comment i was just there's still yeah a long way to go with our military 100%. So Lawrence and his battalion were patrolling for Viet Cong soldiers in the South Vietnam Rainforest one night in November of 1965 on a mission that was not expected to be anything crazy, which Lawrence described as, quote, just going out to play war games. 
but it wasn't a game. They were ambushed and outnumbered six to one by several hundred men raining machine gun fire on them. Ugh. It was a shit show. His battalion was taking heavy gunfire, and the number of men killed was very high. Practically everyone on the front line was hit in the initial burst of gunfire. Of the ones who weren't killed, nearly all of them were seriously wounded. Lawrence was ordered to stay on the ground, but he defied that order. He, remember, he was a medic. He moved through the gunfire, tending to the wounded, and then more. He administered first aid to his unit. He applied bandages. He stopped bleeding. He placed IVs and did plasma infusions then and there. Which, okay, this is a sidebar. And I really, if I was okay with this being a six-hour podcast, I would have done like a whole thing on this. But I just want to briefly say that the guy who basically pioneered like battlefield plasma infusion technology was a black scientist. That's really cool. You know, yeah, I admittedly know nothing about plasma. I hear about people donating it. <laughs> I don't really understand it. I did at one point, but I think these kids have sucked some of the knowledge out of me over time. Oh, it happens. I know. I knew a lot about it at one time. It's like a glass of milk, you know? You fill it up so much and all of a sudden other stuff starts dumping out. Yeah, exactly. Apparently my knowledge of plasma is one of the things that dumped out of my brain at some point. I definitely blame it on my kids. But I do know there's a big push like they need plasma bad right now. Really? I didn't know that. I keep hearing commercials like every time I take the kids to school, it's like the new Snow Leopard commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here it's um, be a foster parent signs on every single corner. And I feel like every single time I've seen one of those, it's been like a really bad day as a foster parent. And I'm like driving to something really difficult and and challenging and painful. And I look up and there's a be a foster parent sign. And I'm like, everyone's smiling. I am. (laughs) Shut up. I'm doing my part. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the guy who pioneered the battlefield plasma infusion technology was a black scientist. It was a whole big thing. There are massive amounts of stories to be told. Ultimately, he died because he was driving to oh god what was it see i should have written more of this down because it was really interesting he was driving to some kind of uh sciencey thing but he had been basically in the or all night and he was so tired while he was driving with two other black scientists that he lost control of his car and drove it into a tree and had such horrific leg injuries that he died and there was like this big thing for a while where everybody said he died because he was um denied a blood transfusion because a lot of black people were denied blood transfusions at that time it it turned out that's not actually what happened he just had a truly catastrophic injury and there was no way to survive but yeah that's the whole thing Um, I will be linking him in the show notes because if you are at all interested in medical history, it's actually very interesting. So back to Lawrence. He is moving through the battlefield. He's placing IVs in the battlefield, which holy shit, just that alone. Like that's, uh, I don't know. Scary. Yeah. He, I mean, I guess it just, it's so precise and imagining just 
taking the time to like slow down and find a vein and and just do such a precise delicate thing on a fucking battlefield is just so intense to me so he got shot in the thigh and calf administered first aid to himself including a shot of morphine for the pain and then continued to administer to another unit that was close to them, not even his unit, and also injured. He tended to so many men on the battlefield under fire, shouting encouragement to the men still alive that he ran out of supplies. And with his right leg seriously damaged, he improvised a crutch from a stick with a crook in it to navigate around the men and find more, holding bottles of plasma in the air, opening himself up to fire that he could have more than justifiably dodged as a soldier one rank below him named Randy provided cover and fire. As his thigh injury worsened, he was forced to drag himself from one man to the next instead of walking, but he still refused to stop. He found one soldier laying on the ground gasping. He had a sucking chest wound. Mm. I don't know how much you know about sucking chest wounds. It, it sounds like it sucks. It's real bad. <laughs> Um, he didn't have the materials needed to treat this very, very catastrophic injury. And he used a plastic bag to seal the wound, saving the man's life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because like the thing with a sucking chest wound, if I remember correctly, is basically that you have to keep the air because it's, it's, it's like, I believe a hole in the lung that's, I, I should shut up because I'm really not sure. I, I did a deep dive into sucking chest wounds one time um, before I took anti-anxiety meds and, <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason felt that I would one day need to learn how to treat one. So I did a deep dive on how to treat a sucking chest wound with the thought, this was going into a tornado season one year, with the thought that someone in my house would probably have like a get a, impaled a by a through their chest yes exactly and i was like i have to know how to do a field treatment for a sucking chest wound is that like a common phobia because i do that too like i am always worried someone i'm gonna like someone i know is gonna get a, it's never me but somebody i know is gonna get a beam through the chest and I, know I think Grey's Anatomy shows have done that to us. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. I've never watched it's, it. It's part of the culture. You don't have to watch it. It's, it's just through Osmos. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so one tornado season, I definitely felt like it was critical that I learned about sucking chest wounds. And if I remember correctly, it's basically a hole in the lung that is all the way out to the air. So, you know, it's not good. And you basically have to seal that off so you can breathe. Yeah. So he used a plastic bag to do it, save the guy's life. He received orders to get down again and again, and he just ignored them again and again. In his commanding officer's words, Joel was definitely not worried about getting wounded. Usually when you hear metal flying, the normal inclination is to get as low as you can or get something between you and the flying metal, but not Joel. His name is Lawrence Joel. That's a little confusing since it's the first name. So the fight lasted more than 24 hours. Oh my gosh. Can Imagine I, that. The just the exhaustion alone. Yeah, I know. Yeah. During that time, he never stopped. About 400 enemy soldiers and 50 American soldiers were killed. 
He looted medical supplies from downed medics and provided, this is the thing, here's, here's the kicker, provided what was basically ICU level care for hours to keep the men alive until they could be rescued. Because I think that, you know, people think about this and they picture, you know, a downed soldier, he's got a terrible wound, you go, you, you tourniquet him, you slap a bag on the sucking chest wound, you do what you need to do. And then a few minutes later, here comes the helicopter to either save him or not save him. But there's a period of 24 hours and you have these mortally wounded men. They need to be in an ICU. It, like you can do some very quick stabilizing first aid, but then they need to be in an ICU like immediately. But here they are on the floor of the rainforest for 24 fucking hours. Uh, uh, uh. So Joel, who probably also needed to be in the ICU, is crawling around, dragging himself around and honestly providing that level of constant care to keep it's these bananas until bananas. they can be rescued. Yeah. Which was complicated by the overgrowth in the rainforest. So it was not help was not forthcoming. Right. When it was over, Lawrence was shipped to the hospital to finally be the one being tended to. President Lyndon Johnson awarded him the Silver Star in 1967 on the White House lawn, which seems like it was hell for this notoriously shy man, and noted that Lawrence, quote, demonstrated indomitable courage, determination, and professional skill, which I feel like is a point you rarely hear made, like not just the endurance and bravery, but the skill. Right. Because... I mean, yeah, I mean, duh, but I just feel like you don't hear that actually acknowledged often enough. So he received a Medal of Honor and a Purple Heart, the first medic in Vietnam to do so. And he called his father when he found out about the awards and told him not to hype him up too much if the press called because, quote, I'm just one guy. There were a lot of other fellows fighting that war who deserve just as much recognition as I do. Oh, my gosh. That Shut is... up, Lawrence. You need recognition. <laughs> But I can just like, I know. just as a parent, you're like, fuck yeah, right. look what my kid did. Right? Yeah. And you have to see his face because he just, he's kind of a nerdy looking guy. And he just, go look him up. I feel like it helps to have a face to put with a name for all of these, actually. So. And we'll post those on uh, social media so you yes, guys have them too. Definitely. So after recovering, Lawrence went back to Vietnam for another tour. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. For the first time. Joel. Right. For the first time in its history, the city he was from. Oh, did you look him up? Yeah, I had yeah. to. Yeah, he's a I love pie. him. He was such a cutie pie. So for the first time in its history, the city that he was from held a parade to honor just a single person, which was him. And he would retire from the army in 1973 at the age of 45. And here we go. Die at 56 from complications from diabetes and depression. He's had multiple buildings and clinics named after him. He said, I never did feel comfortable as a celebrity. There were many people who deserve that role much more than I did. I guess I just happened to be there at the right time. President... Yeah, President Johnson said that Lawrence had shown, quote, a very special kind of courage, the unarmed heroism of compassion and service to others. But all Lawrence had to say about it was, I'm glad to be alive. I just wish I could have done more. I never say that I deserve the medal. That's not for me to say. It was just my job. 
Oh my gosh. These humble ass dudes are killing me. <laughs> yes. So when Lawrence had been a three-year-old toddler in North Carolina, a thousand miles away, there was another baby born on a sharecropper farm in Texas. I really love how you're doing. You're I had so much them. fun with it. I, I feel like it's important to kind of contextualize things as far as civil rights and racism I, it's genius what you've done i've I, I hate that i keep stopping you in it but i just that's literally cute. why we have a podcast i really love it I'm just <laughs> good job buddy thank you so another baby was born on a sharecropper farm in texas while lawrence was a three-year-old this one was a baby girl named myrtle fay oh i know like lawrence she came from a huge family she was number five out of ten and a reverend's daughter she grew up to marry an Air Force lieutenant named Al and have three children, Barbara, Al Jr., who went by Dunny, and Arthur, before divorcing Al and starting work as a seamstress to support her family. Eventually, she met another man named Harris, who was a sanitation worker, and they got married and moved to L.A. They were both definitely entrepreneurs, buying and maintaining a lawn service, a coin laundry, a moving and storage company, and a large apartment building. When Myrtle was 58, the worst happened. Just the worst thing that could happen. Oh, no. Her 35-year-old son, Dunny, was coming home from a store when he was shot in the stomach from the inside of a passing car as part of what was believed to be a gang initiation. What the fuck? He died in the hospital. And this was L.A. in 1989. Gang violence was reaching fever pitch, and so was the counter-movement to stop it. Various organizations had formed a counter-gang activity, police did sweeps, the judicial service instituted harsh penalties for juveniles, and now Myrtle's son was dead. In her own words, she said to herself, I am not just going to put a period behind his name. She wanted to honor his memory and make him proud. She knew that the things currently being used weren't enough. They weren't working all that well, and they really just pissed kids off, and they were adding gasoline to the fire. Right. It was creating this whole you know divide that was even worse than it had to be. The thing that gets me about this woman. We're in Reagan that, area, or era, yeah, right? Okay. Yes, we sure are. The thing that gets me about this woman is that her son wasn't part of all this. He was just a grown man living his life. He was just a bystander. Yeah. Minding his own fucking business. Yeah. And I, like, any woman, I mean, man too, but any parent who loses a child, whether it's a child, child, or an adult child, and goes on to, like, do something from it, which, you know, spoiler alert, you've probably put together she's going to, um, that is as heroic as it gets. But I feel like it's different because I've heard of a lot of parents where their kids were involved with gang activity and they ended up being killed and then they did you know like some anti-gang stuff the thing is like this wasn't even her problem no i mean it clearly was her problem but like teenage bullshit keeping teenagers away from gangs not technically her problem like she was past what might have been that stage of her life but myrtle understood that we're all part of a community and what affects one of us affects all of us and now her kid had been killed. So even if policing teenage rebellion shouldn't have been up to her, here she was paying the ultimate price for it anyway, so she was going to do something. 
she thought about what kids really needed, which is a different approach. Frankly, to me, like getting out of bed in the morning and continuing to live after her loss is enough of an act of heroism to earn any mother in the world who's had to do it a place on this list. I can't fucking imagine. I, I don't. Uh, you you are so beyond exempt from anything for the rest of your life. Right. If you can manage to stay alive and not hurt people, you that's that's it. That's that's all that's expected of you at most. I, I just oh, Jesus Christ. Parents shouldn't have to bury their no, children. No, but Myrtle went beyond that. She said that kids and gangs needed love and attention and to be kept busy and given confidence. She said, if someone had taken more time with the person who killed my son, maybe my son would still be alive. Mm. So Myrtle was going to keep somebody else's son alive and also in the process change the lives of kids who might have otherwise wound up in gangs. So drawing on astronomical wells of empathy, strength, and resolve, she opened a youth center. She, you would think she probably got down to this like a few years after Dunny had died when she'd had time to like heal a little bit as much as anybody could possibly heal. You would think. She wasted but no time. No. She started two weeks after he died. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. She started with meetings in her home to help her plot out a vision. She invited one of her son's close friends, Ted who ran home for the homeless and had helped Dunny during a difficult time in his life. Ted helped her develop what would become the Wooten Center. I love that name, Wooten. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it a lot. And they wasted no time with that stage of it either. In three months, they had rounded up some kids from a church for field trips. They began collaborating with other nonprofits in the area who were helping teens so they could join forces and, I guess, avoid redundancy. But she didn't find much. So she rented a storefront close to one of her businesses. She rallied the people who'd gathered with her in her living room in the weeks following Denny's death and included four adolescent boys from the community who'd previously been taggers. And together they cleaned, furnished, painted, and opened the youth center. And in no time at all, they were keeping kids busy with field trips to city hall, playing board games, going bowling, and helping with homework. The kids thrived in the attention. Oh, I one, bet. Yeah. One mom sent her nine-year-old daughter with a note reading, I hope you can teach her to read. I can't. And in six months, that girl's reading grade shot up from a D to an A. When That's fucking this, awesome. Yeah. But, this, but then it, the parents said that? Yeah. That's really sad because it it's is. like, yeah. what, we're in the 80s? Like late 80s, maybe early 90s at this point. The school should be teaching the kids how to yeah. read. Well, when the center was barely able to stay afloat, Myrtle sold her home of 13 years to keep it open. She brought games and a TV from her own home to use in the center. And Myrtle did this work of parenting an entire city's children for 20 years, retiring at 79. She oh, stayed. Wow constantly involved like visiting kids encouraging them helping them just helping out even after her retirement until she passed away six years later from heart problems and the al wooten jr heritage center continues to operate to this day 
It's still around. Oh, yeah. It has expanded in the past 32 years from a tiny two-room storefront to six buildings, offering free after-school care, tutoring, summer activities, college prep classes, sports, and classes in music, dance, gang prevention, photography, black history, business, karate, and art for kids. That's so fucking cool. Myrtle said, I felt like the young people in the community needed a place to go and be safe. I didn't want another mother to go through the pain and hurt I went through when I lost my son. I thought if I opened up a center for youth, they'd have somewhere to go and be less likely to hurt or kill someone else as they did my son. Dunny's murder was never solved. They never solved it? Nope. Oh, man. I think they used context clues to figure out it was a gang thing, but they, they never solved it. That's heartbreaking. Are you ready for the last one in this episode? Yeah. Okay. This one spans the entirety of our story so far. This is the story of someone named Osceola. She was born all the way back in 1908 to a mother who had been raped in the woods. Mm. And when Henry was fighting off German soldiers in France in 1918, Osceola was being raised by her aunt and grandmother, socking away the money she earned ironing clothes inside her doll buggy. Oh, that was around the time that she dropped out of the sixth grade to care for her aunt, permanently dropping her dreams of becoming a nurse. And she was an abnormally hard worker. She said, I knew there were people who didn't have to work as hard as I did, but it didn't make me feel sad. I love to work. And when you love to do anything, those things don't bother you. Sometimes I worked straight through two or three days. I had goals I was working toward. That motivated me and I was able to push hard. Work is a blessing. As long as I'm living, I want to be working at something. Just because I'm old doesn't mean I can't work. Aww. While Dory was defending his ship in Pearl Harbor, Osceola continued to work throwing herself into washing others' laundry with fierce abandon. While Lawrence tended to the wounded in Vietnam, Osceola tried an automatic washing machine for the first time and was very underwhelmed, so she went back to enjoying the hell out of using a washboard and delivering the kind of quality she was accustomed to. When Myrtle was starting a youth center, Osceola was an old woman, still working her ass off. And the entire time... All these decades, she had a secret. What's her secret? All the way back in 1916, little eight-year-old Osceola walked into a bank with the money from her buggy and deposited it. She had no idea what she was doing, but she figured it out and something about it hooked her. She said, I commenced to save money. I never would take any of it out. I just put it in. It's not the ones that make the big money, but the ones who know how to save to you who get ahead. You gotta leave it alone long enough for it to increase. When she retired in her 80s, she lived an incredibly humble life. She never owned a car. She didn't have air conditioning until basically she was super old, lived in Missouri, and someone was like, please get yourself air conditioner, you're gonna die. Right. Um, she, she lived a very simple life, but she had this secret. When she retired in her 80s, she had $280,000 in the bank, which would be nearly $500,000 today. She owned her home, and she had a plan for that money. First, she took a trip to Niagara Falls, and she savored some picnics by the water. 
She was thrilled to get back home. And then when she did, she set aside about half of her money to live out her life on. And she donated the rest to the University of Southern Mississippi as a scholarship fund for poor students who wanted an education like she had. (gasps) That's amazing. Her generosity inspired more than 600 people who had to more than match her money, tripling the scholarship fund. (gasps) The founder of CNN pledged to donate a billion dollars to charity and said, if that little woman can give away everything she has, then I can give a billion Fuck yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. If you have a billion, you can. If you have it, you sure can. This woman was such an absolute font of just wisdom and pragmatism. It feels wrong to try to summarize her thoughts when she summarized them just fine herself. So I will wrap this up with some quotes from her on how she managed to do what she did. She said, my secret was contentment. I was happy with what I had. On why she picked the college she did, she said, because it's here. On that college's history of only admitting white people until the 60s, she said, they used to not let colored people go out there, but now they do, and I think they should have it. When asked why she wasn't spending the money on herself, she said, I am spending it on myself. (gasps) Damn. Yeah. She's sassy. On the fact that she can't fix everything in the world, she said, I can't do everything, but I can do something to help somebody. And what I can do, I will do. Someone fucking asked her that? Uh Uh-huh. Rude. I know. So her scholarship fund, USM continues to award scholarships in her name to this day and has given them to 113 students to date. She died of liver cancer in 1999. And it was just this whole thing where it was just this little little wash lady living like she was in complete poverty her whole life, just socking away this money to donate when she was old. Because she's a good fucking person. She's a good fucking person. We need more good fucking people. We need more Osceolas. Yes, we do. We do. That's sweet as hell. That is. I love her. I, I love the I am spending it on myself. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I feel that hard. Yeah. That's how you are. That's 100% how you are. Yeah. I don't know. It's love language. I love giving stuff to people. You're a very lovely, generous, gifty person. You you do definitely have some Osceola vibes. Well, she sounds like an excellent role model. <laughs> do you want to do some disaster relief? Yeah, I it's not as needed on this one. I mean, it was still really sad, but I actually I have like my face kind of hurts from smiling. I think the next one actually might be a little happier than this. Oh, uh, I this I'm going to tell you right now. I think this might be one of my favorite episodes. Really? Yeah, I I, I don't I loved all of it. I learned so much. And I really love the way you laid it out. And I don't know. I feel good. I really had fun with, with linking the stories, timelines to each other. Oh, man. I was like, people are going to love this or hate this, but I'm having a good time. <laughs> I also think it's like so great to hear people's stories that you wouldn't normally hear about. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really I, love that. 
I don't know if I should say this or not. I originally had Marsha P. Johnson and Ruby Bridges in this, but I just really wanted to focus on people that are less well-known, and there have been many deep dives on their lives. Not that they're not incredibly worthy, but there have been documentaries and movies and podcasts and long-form articles, and I just wanted to do something different with this. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Well, I'm glad you did. So, yeah, let's get... What do you got for disaster relief? Okay, mine is kind of silly. Um, it is a video game called Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. And it's kind of dumb. But Wait it a is... minute. What kind of video game? Like, on your phone? No, like on... We play it on PS4, but it's on other things. Hmm. Play, and what's this on, called again? It's called Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. That's a long-ass title for I a video know. game. <laughs> it is very cute. It's not intimidating at all if you're not like a very uh, expert-level video gamer. Um, Google says it is a frantic... It's not that frantic. Frantic one-to-four-player couch co-op action space shooter. Explore a colorful galaxy in a massive neon battleship that you control together by manning turrets, lasers, shields, and thrusters. And basically, you're in this big old... <laughs> you said thrusters. I know. I was waiting for it. Right after you said couch shooter. You thrusting on the couch. Aunt Veda listens to this melody. <laughs> Dirty bird. Um, so basically, you're in this big, cute, simple, pink... Uh, spaceship it's hot pink and you and your spouse in my case are floating through space and there's like there's things that attack you from different sides and it'll be like well one of you has to man the shield on this side and the other one has to uh you know go get on one of the guns and get rid of it and whatever you have to cooperate a lot but it's it's really just kind of adorable <laughs> It's pretty chill. It's pretty relaxing. It's very cute. It's got very cute, colorful, fun graphics. And we have had a good time playing Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Uh, And I recommend it. I'm going to have to look up these. (sighs) Might take me an hour. (laughs) Okay. Good thing the internet finishes your sentence. That is cute. Isn't it? All right, that's adorable. And I think that it's kind of, I don't know this for sure, but I think that it's kind of intended to be almost like a uh, a team building exercise with your significant other. Like it's got like a kind of a lightly lovey Valentine-y theme, not in a ridiculous way. Um, Oh, it's better on the Switch too. Yeah, it's just, it's really cute. It's really lighthearted and fun. So... I don't I know if this would be team building with Cody. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure how this would pan out in my household either, but it has. We don't we, work well together at all. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, we don't always either. We had to suddenly, abruptly, drastically rearrange our bedrooms for reasons mentioned at the beginning of the episode this weekend. And, you know... It was very stressful. And at one point I was like, I think that space game has made us a better team. Oh, that is adorable. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's like 
any of Cody's fault. Like my brain just works really differently and, and solo most of the time. And yeah, that's kind of my problem is that in most ways I'm a lone wolf. I really don't want anyone's ideas for how to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have it mapped out before like even beginning. Like I, I have a vision and then, yeah. And Cody's slow. He's very slow at everything. And I'm like, I think I might be the slower one here, but he, the audio guy, like if we have a project, he wants to do it all sprint style right now, up front, burn yourself out completely, get it done. Don't think about anything else till it's done. And I want to uh, pace myself a bit and have, you know, a better time throughout. <laughs> so that's our usual area of incompatibility. But I think lovers in a dangerous space time may be helping. Well, I'm going to check it out because you should. I like games. It's cute. They make me happy. Well, I just have one this week. Well, so did I. What's yours? Um. Well, it's kind of like a maybe a, a compilation of things. So I just finished, I showed you, I just finished my half bathroom, like decorating mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. when we bought this house, I made the decision because sometimes my brain is all over the place. I have a lot of ideas and containing them can be hard sometimes. So I promised myself that I would get creative one room at a time. Like I would completely finish decorating a room before I move on. I'm into it. I'm super into it. So, have you heard of Ibotta? Yes. So, I've been... Yeah, I've... And I was telling one of the moms this. We talk about wallpaper a lot. And um, so, basically, Ibotta is like a... You get, like, cash back from, like, groceries and stuff like that. And you can cash it in for, like, gift cards or put the money in your bank account. So I completely redecorated my half bath with like all my Ibotta cash. And I'm not sponsored. This is not an ad. It's just (laughs) I'm really cheap. So and I just finished it and it was all with like money I got back from grocery shopping, which makes me super tickled. Wow. Yeah. Why have I not seen any pictures of this? I sent you a picture. Of your bathroom? Yes. The fuck? Because I wallpapered it, and the mom that I talked to about the wallpaper, we've had this joke for months where I'm like, yeah, I buy one roll of wallpaper at a time because I'm using my coupon stuff for it. What the fuck? Is it in group chat or private? Uh, it's in <gasps> Oh my group. god, you did? I completely missed it. Like, completely and totally. Yeah. Because the th- audio guy answered it and had a whole conversation with you about it. And I was getting a new child at like the exact same minute. Yeah, so I, there was I a lot going on. Back. Oh my god, it's so pretty. And that's so like I got everything off of Amazon because I traded my Ibotta stuff for Amazon gift cards. And so I, like I said, I did wallpaper one roll at a time. I got the frame from there. The picture is what I drew. I think I did that for disaster relief. The uh, brushes that I got from True Grit and then I got like a stand like everything from I love it but I I redid that whole thing with with cash back 
I'm really fucking proud of myself for doing that because you should be. It didn't like dent my wallet at all. So now I'm working on my dining room that we're using into like a board game slash, you know, crafting area because we have a dining table in the kitchen. So this would be a good space to play family games. I I am I'm dying because I'm obsessed with your decorating style. So. I'm I'm very excited to see your rooms unfold now. It's really loud. <laughs> I can't believe I missed that. Oh, it's it could be louder. So, yeah. And then I will shamelessly put my referral code if anyone wants to do Ibotta. <laughs> and I definitely will get some kickback on that. But like I said, this is not an ad. and This is the opposite of sponsor. But, yeah. No. So I've been doing it for a year. And I've gotten. Hold on. I know I sound crazy right now. No, I you I, don't. I love. I shit just like said this. I had a prepper phase where I wanted to learn how to treat sucking chest wounds in case a tornado impaled my child. Well, you know those like crazy couponers. Like you ever watch those shows? That's not crazy. That's impressive. No, yeah, crazy is the wrong word. But I love that stuff. But I'm not like mathematically equipped to do that and so this is for me like the next best thing because you literally pick your store and then you see if any of the products that you get especially if you do it online it's easy because you have it right there on your phone but like you just go through and pick what you get and if you're I mean I'm already getting the shit anyways might as well get like three dollars back for my detergent you know what I mean yeah but so I've been doing it for a year, and I already got back $405.08. Okay, I'm going to have to look into this. I'm telling you, last week I did my grocery, I did grocery pickup at Walmart, and I got $30 back. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm definitely, I'm definitely getting involved like, in this. Yeah, sometimes I'll get like, you know, like three bucks, but then sometimes I'll get like, a huge like rebate because they change the stuff it's not always like the same items so sometimes you know some weeks i'll just get a ton and then they do they kind of make it like a game too where there's like different ways you can earn more like there's like a kellogg's bonus or whatever you know what i mean i get obsessive about things like this so but yeah I'm, when i I'm do gonna do it i'm definitely gonna do it yeah well if you're not signed up let me give you my code. <laughs> i mean yeah i'm not but yeah, I'll post the picture of my bathroom because I'm really proud of it. And I hung that wallpaper by myself. Really? It's just pill it stick. But... No, no. <laughs> Anybody who has ever done peel and stick wallpaper is listening right now saying no. <laughs> that is not easy to do a little bullshit. Don't, no, stop it. Don't sell yourself short, Melanie. But one of these days... I will have a house completely decorated through this strange couponing, and it will be the most colorful house anybody's ever been to in their life. Oh, man. Okay. I'm into it, and I'm, I'm getting in on this Sabata thing with you. Cool. Okay. Well, I really love this episode. So are you going to do a part two, right? I'm for sure going to do a part two. Yeah. Hey, are you going to make us wait a while, or does that come up quick? It's my next episode. Hell yes. I'm so yeah. stoked. Yeah. No, I've, um, I've already got my people picked and well, part good. of my research done. Well, I'm absolutely pumped and 
hopefully no more hackers. Yeah. So well, lay hopefully. off it, Brianne. Okay. <laughs> I mean, listen, we, we technically have a spot for one more kid. So if we unexpectedly get another and we you're also gonna, unexpectedly you're gonna, get a cyber attack at the same time. No. I mean, you're going to really disappoint White Chicken and Amy. I, I can't do that to White Chicken or Amy, mm-hmm. but especially White Chicken. Mm-mm. I'm here for you, White Chicken. <laughs> well, on that note. On that note, good night. <laughs> good night, sweet dreams or no dreams. Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.